As I just mentioned, this Advent season, we have been going through this ancient hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and the scripture behind the words of this song. And last Sunday, we, we noted that each of these seven verses in this hymn, they, they are connected to these antiphons of old. For those of you who weren't here, an antiphon is simply a short Latin phrase that was either recited or sung right, either right before or right after a psalm was read in the ancient church. And, and there were seven antiphons that were typically read during the evening services leading up to Christmas Eve. And it is from the, each of these antiphons that our song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, was derived. Now, what was great about these antiphons was that each one, they would highlight a, a name, or rather a, a title for Jesus. A, a title that we find in God's Word. I listed these for you last week, so I'll list them again. Uh, just take a look at these names of Christ and, and, and ponder over them for a second. Wisdom from on high, Lord of might, branch of Jesse's tree, key of David, dayspring, desire of nations, and finally, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Last week, we reflected on Jesus being both our wisdom from on high and our Lord of might. As, as wisdom, Jesus is that eternal being who was there from the beginning when the foundations of the earth were formed. It was Him who had ordered all things and now holds all things together. He brings forth both harmony as well as stability to all of His creation. But it's not just his creation that Jesus gives a demonstration of his wisdom. For Jesus also imparts his wisdom upon his people, upon those in whom he delights. And one of the ways he does this is through his holy law. It was on Mount Sinai that our Lord of might came to his people, demonstrating both his power and his mercy. He had veiled himself in a thick, thick cloud so that the people would not be utterly destroyed by his glory. He then gave to them his holy law, a law which brings about wisdom to his people, a wisdom which would then lead them to their Savior and to life eternal. And so Jesus is both this wisdom from on high and this in this Lord of might. And yet our hymn continues, does it not? But before we resume our journey, I, I want to remind you of a small detail that I mentioned last week. If you, were, if you recall, these, these antiphons of old, they, they used to be sung to, to close out the evening services during the Advent season uh, between the dates of December 17th and December 23rd. And each one would, would give the theme for that day. But what is interesting is, 
And something that I didn't mention last Sunday was that each day, it was the tradition of the abbot to not only recite the antiphon, but then he would give a gift to one of the members of the community, to, to a person who matched the, the character trait of that day's theme. For instance, after chanting, O come thou wisdom from on high, he, he would present a token to the town librarian. And after reciting our Lord of might, he, a gift would be given to the Lord of that particular town. And with our two for today, branch of Jesse's tree and key of David, well, you might guess who might receive the honor of receiving the gifts for those days, the head gardener and the town porter. For the gardener was the one who made the trees flourish, and the, and the porter was the one who kept the key to the city gate. And so these gifts, they were, they, they were given not only to honor these men, but, but they were given in, as a way to tangi tangibly demonstrate to God's people just how much Jesus truly does for us. That he is the one who truly fulfills the roles of many, many men. So let's talk about these two titles. Let's talk about the branch of Jesse's tree and the key of David. Now, both of these titles, they have strong messianic overtones, do they not? Jesse being the father of David, and David being the, the king through whom God had promised an heir, a man who would one day establish an eternal and unshakable kingdom. And so today is, is really about the anticipation of God's champion of the one who would come to rescue God's people and bring them into his eternal kingdom. So let's, let's look at these verses, beginning with the branch. Our hymn reads as follows. O come, O branch of Jesse's tree, free them from Satan's tyranny, that trust your mighty power to save, bring them in victory through the grave. There's a lot there, isn't there? This, this, these verses were derived from the original antiphon, which read like this. O root of Jesse, standing as a sign among the peoples, before you kings will shut their mouths. To you the nations will make their prayer. Come and deliver us and delay no longer. And so in these two hymns, we see this kingly theme, do we not? We, we see this one who is, who is most high, even being worthy of prayer of the nations. And what is the request of the people? What are they asking for? They're asking for deliverance, to be rescued. They're, they are looking forward to this coming king, to this one who will free them from Satan's grasp from Satan's tyranny, from that serpent of old, the one who brought death into our world. Now, now while this hymn and this antiphon are similar, we, we actually see two different titles between the two, do we not? We have the branch of Jesse's tree from our hymn, and, and we have the root of Jesse from our antiphon. 
And yet both of these titles come to us from the same passage of Scripture. They, they, they come to us from the prophet Isaiah. Look at, look at Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. It says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Now, what I find fascinating about these verses is that we see Jesus occupying the space of two different parts of the tree. He is both the branch of Jesse in verse 1, and he is also the root of Jesse in verse 10. Now, now think about that for a moment. Not only is he the stem, a a shoot that grows from the the chopped-down stump, But he is at stump's root as well. In other words, he he is this tree's alpha and its omega, its beginning and its end. He is the creator of both Jesse and David, and yet he is their offspring as well. Now in this picture of Christ, we, we see this shoot coming up out of the stump, do we not? And we see the roots firmly planted within the ground. And it is a picture to us of both Jesus' humanity and his divinity. Like a a shoot, he, he is one who is both frail and mortal. Yet at the same time, like the roots, he is both strong and everlasting. Dear friends, Christ came to us as both God and man. In that town of Bethlehem where both Jesse and David were from, Jesus was born. This this tiny stem who was frail and needy, yet he was also the strong roots of the tree, immovable and unyielding. 
He would be the one before whom the mouths of kings would be shut and to whom the nations would come to pray. And we see this in Jesus' life, do we not? Even at a very young age. Look, look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. These magi from the east, these, these men of power and prestige, they, they recognized who this Jesus was. And what did they do? They, they bowed down before this babe and they worshipped him. They honored him as a king. They set gifts before him of great worth. And why did they do that? Because, because they knew. They knew that one day he would be the one to rule over the nations. That he would be the one to judge the earth. This, this is what Isaiah prophesied. Look again at our passage from Isaiah. Look at verses 3 through 5. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. You see, these magi, these Gentiles from the east, they understood the scriptures and the promises that they bore. They recognized that this newborn child was, was the mighty, mighty king, the one who would rule with righteousness, the one who would bring justice to the oppressed. And thus they were the first of many to whom Christ would reach out with the saving grace. But that's what he came to do, is it not? To deliver his people from Satan's tyranny. From the power of death itself. You see, he would do more than simply rule over men. Look, look at verses 6 through 9 from our passage in Isaiah. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And what our prophet is describing here is a world where death has no power. There is no longer prey nor predator. Animals that could tear apart a full-grown man are no more threatening than a newborn kitten. And a child has no reason to fear, for death has no hold. 
How can this be, you might ask? How, how can this Jesus remove all the dangers that threaten us? Because this branch of Jesse's tree is also the key of David. Let's look at our fourth verse from our hymn about Tomo Come Emmanuel. Look at, look at this key of David. O come, O key of David, come. Open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high. And close the path to misery. And here are the words from our original antiphon. O key of David and scepter of the house of Israel, you open and no one can shut. You shut and no one can open. Come and lead the prisoners from the prison house, those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death. What good is a key except for locking and unlocking? And it was the key of David that represented the authority to do such things. Once again, it is from the prophet Isaiah that we find these titles of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The titles that our hymns use. Look at Isaiah chapter 22, verses 20 through 22. In that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. And so here we see this man named Eliakim, a, a faithful servant not only to his king but to his God. And Isaiah prophesied that this Eliakim would one day take upon the robe and the sash symbolizing authority within the king's house. That this servant to the king would become like a father to the people. And that by his very nature he would be worthy of both honor and respect. He would be a man who would garner the affection of those whom he loved. And yes, we see that the key of the house of David would be placed upon this Eliakim's shoulders. So what's going on here? Who, who is this Eliakim? And, and why would he be the one that is given the key to the house of David? Well, the king at the time when Isaiah wrote this was Hezekiah. And his most trusted servant or an advisor was another man named Shebna. But, but when Isaiah had prophesied that the, that the people of Judah would be carried off into exile, would be carried off into Babylon, this Shebna, this servant to the king, he refused to believe it. And as a show and as a demonstration of his unbelief, he had prepared for himself a tomb cut into the rock right in Jerusalem, declaring that his death would not take place in Babylon, that he would live out his life in the city of David, where he would breathe his last. It was a demonstration to the people of Judah 
that they should not listen to God's prophet, that they should not listen to God's word. And so in utter rebellion, this Shebna defied God's will. And that's why we see this prophecy that we see. For God was going to cast Shebna out, this unbelieving man, and replace him with a faithful servant named Eliakim. He would now become the close advisor to the king. And one of the privileges of being the king's advisor was carrying the key of David. Now, now what you have to understand about these keys of old was that they were very, very large and very, very heavy. They were made of iron and, and could at times measure up to three feet in length. Here, here's a picture of what some of them looked like. You just didn't put these keys in your pockets, did you? No, instead you, you, you would have to sling it over your shoulder in order to carry it around. Eventually these keys became symbols of authority. For the man with the key was the man who could grant access to the king. Of course, our hymn isn't talking about Eliakim now, is it? It's talking about a different key holder. In Revelation chapter 1, the apostle John was taken up into the heavens and he was given a vision of the glorified Jesus. And in verses 17 and 18, we read this. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Jump forward to chapter 3, verse 7. We read this. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. How many of you have ever tried to get into a nightclub? Come on, there's got to be some of you. My wife. <laughs> <laughs> Lorraine, I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> For those of you who have... I was going to witness. Yeah. You were going to witness, okay. Well, for those of you who have, then, then you know that there's always a bouncer at the door. And this bouncer is typically an extremely large man. He is the one who will decide who will get into that club and who will stay out. And so in essence, he is the key. Similarly, Christ is like a bouncer. He holds the key of David. He is in control of whether the door is open or whether the door is shut. He is the one who decides who will enter in to the throne room of God and who will be left out. The authority rests upon his shoulders, 
And that's because he holds the key to both death and Hades. Now for us to truly understand what is going on here, we, we must first comprehend the concept of death and Hades. What does Jesus mean when he says that he holds the keys of death and Hades? Here's where confusion can enter in, for there are many, many people today within, within the church, many Christians today, who, who think that Hades and hell are the same thing. They're not. Hell is the place of torment reserved for the devil and his offspring on the day of final judgment after Christ returns. Hades, on the other hand, is more like a holding tank for the dead. In the Old Testament, the Jews called this place Sheol. Yet when Jesus died on the cross, Scripture teaches us that he descended to the dead, unlocking the door to Hades and removing the grip of death's power. This is why at the moment of Jesus' death, we read this in Matthew 27. Look at, look at verses 51 through 53. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And so here we see a, a precursor, if you will, of what is to come on that final day. The dead will be raised, some to eternal life and some to eternal destruction. And this resurrection that we see in Matthew's gospel, this, this raising of those who had been trapped within Hades, only came about because Jesus had entered into death and used the key to unlock death's door. And this was a foretaste of what is to come. That Jesus will one day return again and he shall open wide Hades' door as he calls forth the dead to be raised. You see, he is the key of David. He is the one who decides who can enter in and who will be left out. He parts the curtain to God's throne room, allowing those whom he chooses to come before his Father. This is why he can say in, in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the key of David. There is no other way to the Father except through him. Listen, we, we live in a time where, where, where people are actively defiant against God. Where people boldly state, I know what is best for me, not you. Where people claim to have their own truth. As if there could be more than one. But Jesus says no. He is the way and the truth and the life. What he opens, no one can shut. 
And what he shuts, no one can open. And only he can open the door and set the prisoners free, leading them away from the land of the shadow of death. But just as this key opens, it will also shut. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the day of victory. For there will come a day when the door will be closed. In Matthew's Gospel, in in chapter 25, Jesus gives to us three different parables about people being shut out of the kingdom. I, I want us to take a quick look at the first Here here we have the story with ten virgins waiting for the bridegroom's arrival. Five of these virgins are wise and five of them are foolish. The wise virgins come prepared. They, they, They had brought enough oil for their lamps in case the bridegroom's arrival would be late. And yet the foolish virgins, they they did not prepare. For they did not bring enough oil for their lamps and, and their flames were dying out. And so they left their post in order that they might buy more oil for their lamps. And because of that, they missed their opportunity. The bridegroom had arrived and they were nowhere to be found. Look at, look at Matthew 25, verses 10 through 12, 10 through 13. And while they were going to buy, and while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Dear friends, Time is ticking. You don't know the number of days that God has for you. And only those who who repent of their sins, only those who trust in this Jesus, this branch of Jesse's tree, this one who is both the Alpha and the Omega, both God and man, this one who, who shuts the mouths of kings, this one to whom all will one day bend the knee, This key of David, this one who who opened the door for you when he died on the cross in payment for your sins. The only one who can bring you to the Father's throne. Only those who have turned from their sins and believed in this Messiah can be saved. There is no other way. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. So repent. Look to Christ. To the branch of Jesse's tree. To the key of David. For his advent is near. He is coming. And once the door is shut, no one can open it. Listen to the words of your Savior. 
Look at, look at Revelation chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Brothers, sisters, this is my hope for you this Advent season. That you would be a pillar in God's house. That the name of God would be written upon you. As well as the name of his city, your eternal home, the new Jerusalem, and the name of your Savior, this branch of Jesse, this key of David. May your thoughts be ever upon your Lord, and may the door to the kingdom, to his kingdom, be open to you. Let's pray. Father, we are truly, truly grateful for your Son, who is both the root and the branch. He is both our God and our new Adam. He, he is the only one who can grant us entrance into your throne room, for he is the key. Open our ears that we may hear what your spirit is saying to the churches. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.